Welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart podcast, where healthcare meets business, with your host, me, Dr. Karen Litzy. And just as a reminder, the information in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and is not to be used as personalized medical advice. Enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I am your host, Karen Litzy, and today we have a really special episode by a wonderful physiotherapist and coach, Emma Jack, and she is here today to discuss her journey from burnout to breakthrough. So Emma was overwhelmed and unsatisfied with her career path until a panic attack in 2016 led her to reflect and make a change. Emma decided to take a step back, focus on herself, and build a more sustainable, fulfilling career. This is her story and her advice for other healthcare providers. So a little bit more about Emma. She is a sport and orthopedic physiotherapy and owns her own practice, Press Play Physiotherapy and Pilates in London, Ontario, Canada. She holds a master's of physiotherapy as well as a master's of clinical science, has her sport physiotherapy diploma, is a fellow of the Academy of Manual and Manipulative Physical Therapy, and is a lead therapist with the Canadian National Women's Hockey Team. Sounds pretty cool, right? While those accomplishments and and credentials do bring a sense of pride, Emma also recognizes that many of those things are ultimately what left her feeling intense anxiety, chronic stress, overwhelm, and burnout. Her credentials may span two lines on a business card, but in recent years, Emma has totally transformed her practice in life in order to ensure that her accomplishments no longer define her. Now, much of her time is spent working as a co-active coach, helping other clinicians show up fully for their lives and careers in a way that feels authentic, sustainable, and most importantly, fun. So everyone, enjoy today's episode. Hey, Emma, welcome to the podcast. It's so nice to see you one-on-one. Usually we see each other on social media or maybe in more like group conversations. So I'm really, really happy and can't believe that this is the first time that we're sort of doing a one-on-one conversation. So thank you for being here. Oh, I'm so delighted to be here. Truly, truly. I know this has felt like a long time coming. Yes, agreed, agreed. I'm so happy to have you on. So let's let me have you before we begin. Why don't you talk a little bit more about you? So we obviously know you're a physiotherapist from Canada, and and you're you know you've kind of had this shift in your career. So do you want to talk a little bit more about that, and then we'll maybe get into the why for it? Yeah, for sure. So you know, I like many physical therapists, I think I wear lots of hats right now. I am still have my own clinical practice. I treat one day a week uh, out of my home actually now, which I am loving. And then I'm also working with clinicians the rest of the week and helping them really, you know, suss out and figure out how to make their careers, but more importantly, and more broadly, their lives you know, more satisfying. And, you know, that, yes, you're absolutely right. That switch over and where my practice has gone has 100% been a byproduct of my story and how sort of my early career went for me. So, um, yeah, I think looking back, you know, the dots never make sense moving forward, but they always make sense moving backwards. Yeah. The dots always connect looking back, right? That's a Steve Jobs quote, I believe, right? Yeah. Um, always. So let's, let's talk more about those dots then. So I think a lot of 
physical therapist might be feeling some of the things you were feeling in the past. And so I really think telling your story will help a lot of people, number one, feel like, oh, it's not just me. And number two, see that, wow, our physical therapy degrees are so versatile and they can be used in so many different ways. So let's start start with the dots. So let's go back as yeah. far as you feel comfortable going back and we'll connect them moving forward. For sure. I mean, if I go way, way back, I was probably, truthfully, I was probably 11 or 12 when I decided I wanted to be a PT. Uh, I was in PT a lot growing up. I was a dancer. I had lots of injuries and I adored my physical therapist. I thought she was so cool. I thought the environment was just really motivating and uplifting and always changing and super active. And I really got it, you know, planted in my head. This is what I'm going to do. And really looking back from that point on, you know, every step I took, even in high school, I did a co-op placement in a PT clinic. And then, you know, I did my kindergarten and I did my PT degree. And I really was always striving for that. And even once I graduated PT, I did a specialization in sport PT. So I did a fellowship uh, to get my sport diploma, which is what it's called up here in Canada. Um, and, you know, got that, got my uh, camp designation. So I'm a, uh, a fellow of the Canadian Academy of Manual Physical Therapists. I think in the U.S. it's similar. OMPT yeah. or something. A yeah. AOMPT. Aomt, of yes. course, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, worked really hard to get that designation. I took needling and, you know, every course, you name it, any credential, you name it. I just went through, got all the check marks along the way and, you know, attended all the workshops, all the conferences. I was out there just trying to soak it all in, really thinking, you know, the more I knew, the more I learned, the more people I met, the more I would feel confident in my, you know, day-to-day -day clinical skills, the more comfortable I would feel, the more of a quote-unquote good PT I would be. And truly, at the end of the day, the more courses I took, the more credentials I had, the more stressed out I was, the more overwhelmed I was, the more I was falling out of love of being a PT. Um, and for me, it really culminated. I, I'll never forget, you know, one Sunday night, sort of that Sunday scaries moment um, where I ended up having a panic attack. And I remember, you know, hitting the floor and trying to catch my breath and thinking, not this anymore. I can't. I can't operate this way anymore. I had just dedicated every square inch of my life to being a physical therapist and, and trying to be this good clinician. And every step along the way, I was kind of losing myself and who I was. I was trying to be this archetype of this amazing clinician. And on paper, I had it all. Um, but really, I was I was kind of a shell of myself. And so I remember in that moment, you know, that panic attack really did wake me up to something's got to change. And, and it wasn't quick and it was by no means overnight, but I really, from that point on, did a lot of work to figure out, okay, if I'm going to be in this career and if I'm going to thrive in this, what does that need to look like for me? I think I had really been, you know, looking outside of myself to what other people were doing and what mm -hmm. I thought I quote unquote should do. And not really checking in with, did I want to? Was that actually aligned for me? Did, was that, you know, going to feel fun and energizing? And so, you know, so much of, 
of the work I needed to do was just get back to myself and remember the things that I loved and that made me full so that I could then, you know, from that place, serve and show up and help others. And so, you know, that, like I said, was not a quick and easy process, um, but it's been my greatest teacher. And I, I think has ultimately led me to be a far better clinician long-term. And how long ago was that panic attack? How many that would, years, that was months? In that was in 2016. Oh, in 2016. In, okay. Yeah, 2016. And, and you know, it's, I often think those those are kind of our wake-up calls. Mm -hmm. um, and I look back and, and, yeah, I wouldn't wish it on anybody, but it really did transform, you know, the trajectory of, of what I've ended up doing with that PT degree. Right. So let's talk about the steps you took from then till now. We'll get into what you're doing now in a little bit, but let's yeah. break it down so people can understand like, hey, this happened in 2016. And what changes did you decide to make and how did you make them? Yeah. I, the first the first thing I decided to do was take some time away. I did. I took, I think I took a six week leave um, from clinic and I think I Googled safest place to travel alone <laughs> and Scandinavia came up and I got on a plane. Perfect. Where did you go? <laughs> I did uh, Iceland, Denmark, and Sweden. I love Denmark. Denmark's one of my favorite places in the world. Like I could literally go there every year and I think I might. Um, I that just, is something I'm committed to as well. Yeah, I just love it. It's such a great city. I've been there in the winter for Sports Congress, which is a little, you know, a little different. But, <laughs> but went over the summer this past year for the fourth. Yeah, I think we uh, just World missed Congress. each other. We did for the fourth World Congress of Sports PT, and was in Denmark, and then went to 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 Nyberg. Mm, if you yes. ever go back, you should go there. It's like a beach town. Which oh. is wild, you know, coming from America, it's <laughs> different vibes, <laughs> different vibes, but yeah, I love it. What a great choice. Um, and, and how did that experience of taking six weeks? I mean, have you ever done that yeah. before? Never in my life. Amazing. Never had I, had I allowed myself to slow down mm -hmm. to that degree. And mm -hmm. to be honest, it took me a minute to be able to do it. Like you said, North America, we are kind of go, 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 hustle, yeah. work. Um, and I went over there and truly actually Denmark is really where that sort of culture of, you know, yeah, work is a part of your life, but it is not who you are. It is not your identity. There, you know, it, things close at 6 p.m. Nothing's open on Sunday. It was a very different culture. Mm -hmm. And so it forced me to slow down. And, you know, for the for the first time in a long time, I had fun. I I was riding my bike everywhere. I went to Tivoli Gardens, you know, it's an amusement park yeah. in, in Copenhagen. And I, you know, rode the swings and I giggled and I played in played in the ocean and just I had such a great time and I really got back to myself. And that's truly like my my clinic and my Instagram and sort of my personal brand is press play. And that really came out of that six weeks. I realized, oh my gosh, I forgot to, how to have fun. I've been so focused on, you know, being, being the good worker that mm -hmm. I've forgotten how to play and how to have fun and what an important part and aspect of life that is, you know? And, and yeah. so that was a huge step in my healing. I came back and I, I really, I truly felt different. 
Um, and from there, I realized I wanted to do some things outside of PT. And funny enough, you, you'll laugh at this because one of the things I did that was quote unquote outside of PT was start my Twitter and my Instagram, mm -hmm. right? Which is still, you know, kind of PT focused, but more lifestyle. And it was just a creative outlet that wasn't a course that wasn't super academic. And I just shared what was coming up for me. And what I found was, is the more I shared, and the more I shared about, you know, feeling overwhelmed or burnt out or, you know, what I had gone through, the more I connected with other, you know, PTs or allied health who said, oh my gosh, I feel the same. And so I, I didn't realize at the time in, in, you know, starting my blog, which is what you had back then in 2016, mm -hmm. I had a blog that was, you know, super fun. That was a really good outlet for me was writing. And I didn't realize that in sharing my story, so many people would resonate with it. Yep. And, um, you know, I've been able to connect with so many amazing individuals who are doing so many epic things, yourself included, that doesn't involve, you know, one-on-one -on -one patient care 24 seven. Mm -hmm. And so I really saw how I could use my knowledge and use my training and this lens that I had to still be of service, but maybe in a way that also felt really good and aligned for me. And so obviously, you know, within that too, I worked with therapists, I worked with coaches, I really got a sense of, okay, if I'm going to be a PT, what does it need to look like for me? Mm -hmm. And and ultimately what that ended up looking like was me starting my own practice. Um, and it did not look like or operate like most other people's practices, but I had to go back to myself and look at, you know, my capacity, my energy levels, what I wanted the environment to feel like, what music I wanted to play, what I wanted to be able to wear at work, all of that sort of stuff. I, I really looked at, you know, what would make me feel great first? And once I feel good, how can I then use that energy to serve others? And when I switch that from, I need to give, 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 serve, 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 and started from filling myself up first and then serving others, that's when things really shifted in terms of my career as a PT. Um, so that was probably like a very roundabout answer, but it was really a process of getting back to myself and knowing myself better first. And from that place, doing what I needed to do um, in order to serve others. Yeah. And that makes perfect sense. I think that's not unusual, especially in this kind of like giving profession yeah. that we are programmed from school on through to just help others and help others. But then you're like, well, wait a second, how can I help myself? Or where are those resources located to help me yeah. um, in order to keep my energy up and to keep me moving forward as well? Because if you're stagnant, your patients are going to be stagnant, your life's stagnant, everything kind of stinks, you know? Yeah. Um, for lack of a yeah. better way of putting it, it <laughs> totally. just kind of stinks. <laughs> um, and I love that you said you really had to get back to being more playful and more open to to just having fun adventures. Um, and it reminds me of two weeks ago, I guess, I was in New Orleans and I went and had a tarot card reading, which I'd never done before, ever. I love that. I don't know if I you've ever that. done that, but I, I thought- 
well, when in New Orleans, right? It's sort of that, like when in Rome. So um, one of the things, one of the cards she flipped over, she was like, "Mm," she's like this year, you know, this card signifies your sort of middle school self, that 13, 14 year old who just likes to, you know, have fun and, and is like uninhibited and, you know, has not been like knocked down left and right. Right. By, by yes. life. Right. Um, and she's like, so it's just, this is something like you just need to have more fun. You need to be playful. Mm. You need to. And as you're saying that, I'm just thinking of remembering her words mm. and how now for me, connecting the dots of how important that is and how it can really shift your focus in life. Totally. I think, you know, it's something that gets so lost. I always go back to, you know, when we're in elementary school, you work a little bit and then you have recess. Right. Work a little bit more and you have recess. And then somewhere along the way, it's just decided that when you hit 12 or 13 years old, we just don't need that anymore. It's just not a part of life. And absolutely. I mean, you start adding those little bits of fun in and you realize Mm -hmm. how it actually up levels everything that you do. Yeah. Because when you're good, everything else is good. Right. And that it's okay to be silly and it's okay to like laugh at yourself and, you know, all the other things that happen when you're not so like closed off, you know, if you're watching this on YouTube, you'll understand that sound I made because of the way I move my hands there. (laughs) It it doesn't translate well on a podcast, but it'll go really good on YouTube. (laughs) It'll be great. People will love it it on YouTube. Um, They're going to love it. So, you know, obviously this breakdown led to a big breakthrough for you. Um, So what a quote that you had sent over to me is human first therapist second. So do you want to talk a little bit more about that and when that connection was made for you? Yeah, I think, you know, this is something that I say to clients that I work with all the time, and I always remind myself of too, because you know most of us get into these helping professions because we want to be of service, right? I've never talked to a PT where I say, you know, why did you become a PT? And they're like, oh, I wanted to get into it because of the money or you know because of the credentials. It's like I wanted to help people, and I think when we are people of such service helping comes naturally. It's easy for us and it feels good and we're good at it. And so we can really get in this pattern of giving, 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 and it almost becomes challenging to receive. And to, to, doesn't it feel like, Ooh, I feel bad. I feel bad. I feel feel bad. I feel, yeah. Shame around it of like, right. oh no, you need this, not me. Right. Um, and so coming back to that notion of no, 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 I am also human. I am just as human as the people I serve. And so I need to afford myself the same grace and and the same things that I'm giving other people. And so I, you know, that my sort of motto of human first, therapist second always reminds me and and I would know invite others to think of what do i need as a human you know what fills me up so that then i can go out into the world and be of service to other people and i always think of you know people talk about that um that quote you can't pour from an empty cup Mm -hmm. and 
I truly think you actually can't pour from a full cup either, because if you pour from a full cup, you're going to be left kind of half empty. And so I like to think of it as serving from a place of overflow. Let's get the cup so full, right? That it is overflowing and people can get your overflow, but you're not left empty, empty at the end of the day, end of the mm-hmm. week, end of the month, whatever it is. And so really being cognizant and cautious that, yes, we cannot outrun our physiology. We cannot, you know, see 45 people a day and skip lunch and not go to the bathroom and not drink water. That just doesn't work. Eventually, we're going to, our humanness is going to show up. And so treating ourselves as human first. And how do you allow that to come through when you're a practicing physical therapist, right? So we're talking about really being yourself, being authentic, letting yourself shine through. But how do we do that, especially for the therapists who are listening now who work for someone else, right? They have production, they have, not production, what's it called? Uh, Quotas or or something. Yeah, something something to that effect. Not to belittle that, I just don't have that in my own practice. (laughs) But you know, if you have to, productivity standards. That's the word. Yes. There we go. I was like, what is that called? Right. (laughs) So you have to have productivity standards and, you know, maybe you're seeing three patients an hour, four patients an hour, which is a lot, right? So how do you keep yourself, your human self when perhaps it may feel like you're turning into like a robot or you're becoming like an autonoma, uh, what's, what are those things? Like, uh, it's not a robot, but you know those. Yes, I know exactly what you're thinking. I'm, of. I, I'm like I'm trying to think of that movie with that like autonomous. It's like an autonomous. Oh my god! Anyway, I'll I'll Google it. Um, but you know what I'm saying. It's not quite yes. a robot, but it's not a human either. But it's exactly. that. Yeah. Uh, I think there's you know there's a scale. There's a scale you can run in terms of changes you can make, but it can be small and simple things. You know, when I was still in a fairly bustling practice, every time I washed my hands, I just visualized myself washing that encounter away, right? Or taking a few deep breaths before you go grab that next person from the waiting room. It can be really small, Mm -hmm. subtle things. It can be, you know, helping shift the culture of your clinic, doing a fun sock Friday, like, you know, little things that just give you that little bit of a perk of energy, um, all the way to, you know, I really started thinking about what I was wearing to work. To me, it got to the point where I realized, you know what, the the polo shirt and khakis for me just wasn't aligned. I was like, yeah, I'm just doing this because I think I should, or I think this is what a physical therapist would wear. Right, right. And Isn't so that hilarious. Just, it is, right? It's it just I, I mean, so I was lucky. Like I mean, I'm in New York City, so maybe it's a little different. Yeah. But the places that I worked at, like it was not a polo or a khaki in sight. Yes. You know? <laughs> like I remember at one job, like I was wearing like Minolos and like dress pants. <laughs> you know, I've also worn like dry clean only pants. And then I'm like laying on the floor showing a glue fridge or something and be like, why am I doing this? But I just started wearing things that were more me that, you know, made me feel confident and comfortable in myself. And whether that's Manolo's or Lululemon leggings or whatever that, whatever it is, I think, you know, if you're able to wear something that just you feel good in, that's great too. Um, you know, I, I'm somebody who, and, uh, I really, love music 
And I just created a playlist to be playing in my treatment room that I love, that energize me, that make mm-hmm. me feel good. And even just like those small changes can have a massive impact on your energy throughout the day. So it doesn't have to be, you know, massive. And my, I wasn't able to make massive changes really quick. I by no means, you know, flipped the dining room table and started from scratch again. I made slow changes over time. Um, but small things can have a massive impact. So don't underestimate, you know, those little breaks, those little pauses throughout the day, how you can just refocus and recenter yourself. Yeah. And I think it's important. I'm I'm glad that you said like, Hey, it's not like this happened in a month and Oh my gosh, I'm magically better, but that right. it's so to, because expectations, managing expectations is so important, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think for people to understand, like, uh, it sounds like it took years to kind years. of really get to this happier, more you space. So I think it's important that people know that, like, don't give up if you've been like, it's been a month and I still... <laughs> Yes. Give it some time, you know? And I love the idea of like when you're washing your hands or taking that breath. And there's a meditation teacher here, an author here in New York named Sharon Salzberg. And a Mm -hmm. lot of her meditations are around like loving kindness meditations. But one of the, she calls that like having like a little meditation snack so that when you're washing your hands, you just kind of feel the water go through. You feel this and you're just really focused on washing your hands and what that feeling feels like. Mm. And it takes you out of whatever situation you're in and focuses you. And then you're like, okay, I can, I can go on now. Yeah. I'm definitely somebody, you know, I, I would take on a lot of my clients' emotions. Mm. And so that was a very big, important practice for me um, because I needed to make sure that you know, what, regardless of what happened in that last client encounter, that I made sure I showed up in good energy for the next person. And so a lot of those rituals and routines and, and, you know, work that I had to learn how to do, that's not taught in PT school. They don't, we don't go into this stuff. Um, I had to learn how to manage and regulate myself better. And as someone who, as you just said, very empathetic and empath, if you will, what advice do you have for uh, healthcare workers that are maybe listening to this right now who are also very empathetic and who also take on all those emotions. And then by the end of the day, it's like you're carrying an anvil around with you. So <laughs> <Totally>. what, <laughs> right? So yeah. what advice do you have for people to be able to not do that? I think the biggest thing first is to recognize that it's happening. I probably went five or six years into practice, not realizing that's what was happening. Mm-hmm. Not realizing when I got home at the end of the day, why all I had the energy for was to stare at a blank wall for a bit. <laughs> you know, I was exhausted. And and so, yes, I think that was a lot of work that I had to do in terms of um, with a therapist and with a coach of learning, you know, how to separate my own worth from outcomes patient outcomes and client outcomes and clients emotions and clients feelings because I think that's where I got really mixed up is if somebody was coming in in more pain or was you know upset about something or something had happened in their life I was taking that on as I needed to fix it I had a I had a massive fixer mentality and so really starting to you know once I started to see myself as a guide rather than a fixer 
I think that perspective really helped, you know, understanding that I, I wasn't a hundred percent responsible for outcomes and realizing there was two people in this relationship. And mm-hmm. then some of those little practices of, of, you know, separation, uh, in between appointments, knowing who those people were, where I was more likely to do it. Um, now, even to this day, if I have a client, um, that just, you know, brings a lot to an appointment, I just didn't take two seconds and visualize myself putting armor on before mm-hmm. they come in. Like, yes, they can bring whatever they need into this session, but it's not mine. It can stay. It can stay with them. Um, so visualization has helped me a lot too. Yeah. And I think the first time I heard that phrase that you just said, that our worth is not dictated by our patient outcomes was from Jason Silvernail, who's a physical therapist in the United States. He's um works in the Army, the US Army. Okay. Yeah. And I I think maybe it was at the San Diego Pain Summit or something. I can't remember. But he had said that that we shouldn't be tying our our self-worth as a physical therapist to our patient outcomes because you can't get through life that way. And yeah. I remember hearing that and thinking, yes that was like a big moment for me of like, yeah, because I used to do that. Like if my patients didn't get better, it was all my fault. I'm awful. Why do I even do this for a living? Or, you know, like you get dumped by a patient and you're like, oh, I'm the worst therapist in the world. No wonder they don't want to. And it just kind of continues to like chink away and, and knock you down. And, um, a client of mine, who's a psychiatrist calls that the menace of the myths because they're only the myths in our head. And so we yeah. have to work hard every day to dispel those myths because they are just that. They're myths that we've 100%. created. So what can we do every day to dispel those myths? And maybe it's visualization, it's meditation, it's you know having fun, it's reading, it's whatever it is, is different for everyone. But in order to, to feel good about yourself, which you don't have to feel good every day, all day. Yeah. But you do want to feel good more than you feel bad, right? Or not have it be dictated by what happens. Right. In that day, right? right. Have some, have some self-authority over those roller coaster um, of emotions of good and bad days, not have it be a bad day because somebody else is one of our clients is having a bad day. Right. Right. Not letting our clients dictate how we feel. We're owning our own autonomy in that. And absolutely. Right good days and bad days, but not based on client outcomes, because that is something that at the end of the day, we just don't have pure control over. No, no. And all we have control over is how we react to the situations. So this happens, we feel an emotion. Actually, I skipped a step. X, you know, something external happens. We have always an emotion around that and an analytical diagnosis of that. And then how do we take that and how do we react? And that's and what then, we can control. And then how does that feed forward into mm-hmm. what's already happening, right? And, right. And so, yeah, 100% getting, you know, I really, that's why I truly do think, you know, personal development is professional development. I did years of quote unquote professional development to learn these like clinical skills and, and understand you know, how to technically treat a client, mm-hmm. but I, I hadn't learned along the way, the personal development 
of my own operating system of how I was reacting and responding and right. making meaning of everything and the stories I was telling myself. And so, you know, both are important. Yeah. Absolutely. And by the way, you can't, as we just spoke about, that personal development, if you don't do that, you can't treat your patients effectively. Yeah, truly, truly. Uh, if you don't know yourself, <laughs> your your locus of control is really mm-hmm. far outside of you. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I think it, it it does have to be both. It does have to be both. Yeah. And how, so this is a big question, but how can you, let's say, support yourself or maybe others, whether it's a coworker, a friend, a partner, if you're feeling burnt out, if you're feeling burnout or dissatisfied with your career, right? So you're in that stage where you're not feeling it, right? Mm-hmm. So how how are we supposed to help others at that time? And what effects does that have on those relationships, professional and personal? It's so much harder to be of service to others and to support others when we aren't feeling good ourselves, 100%. Are we able to do it? Yes. However, I think it's so important to recognize, ooh, I'm getting to this point where it's not feeling so good and easy. I always think, you know, fun and ease is is my goal. And so if it's not really feeling fun, not really feeling too easy, that's like our, you know, change oil light on our car of, okay, something else needs our attention. And so I think that's a great time to zoom out a little bit and look at, you know, what maybe have I let go by the wayside, whether it's, you know, hobbies or social time. Like usually I do think it's, we're very multifaceted as humans. And usually when we get too pigeonholed on work and being of service, at some point along the way, we're, go- we're going to feel that, that burnout come on. Mm-hmm. So we have to start attending to other things. So really starting to look at, okay, you know, what's one thing I can do or I can ask for help with that will support me? And starting to take little steps like that, because again, if we want to be serving from that place of overflow we we got to be filling ourselves up with something. And so it's yeah. so important just to see that as, okay, time out, <laughs> time out. What is it that I need? And letting it be okay and, and checking any stories of guilt or shame or discomfort in needing something ourselves. Right. Because again, right. we're, we're, we're humans first, humans yeah. first. And it's okay to have needs. Absolutely. And like I usually say to fellow business owners, when I look at their business plan, I always be like, okay, you know, you've got this, like, boy, that SWOT analysis is really good. And you've got your mission and your vision and your values. That's great. And I always say, but aren't you missing something from your business plan? And they'll be like, what? I'm like, well, where are you in this plan? Mm. So part of my business plan is meeting up with a friend once a week. That is into my business plan. Because if I don't do that, it's not good. I'm not good if I'm not meeting up with a friend face-to-face once a week. So I try and make that happen as best I can every single week to meet up with a friend, 
to because that's I know that helps to get, recharge and and give me some more energy. Yeah. And so I encourage people in their business plan, like put in there, like I'm doing this for me. So often every week. Entrepreneurs always say why they started their own business. There's some component of wanting more freedom, but then they don't actually use it or enable (laughs) it. Right. Like you get to decide, you get to ask you if you want to do it. And if you say yes, go for it. Right. And so, yeah, we are such, we are the energy of our businesses. And so, you know, doing, going for a coffee date or, you know, doing a dance class or whatever it is that makes you feel good. Whatever it is. is fueling your business. That That's right. is business work ultimately. Yeah. And I think it's seeing and, you know, not allowing society to dictate that, you know, this is what it means to be doing business. I think it's so important to look more holistically especially for solopreneurs or solo clinicians, mm-hmm. you are your brand. And so if you aren't feeling good, that's going to translate into how you show up in your business. Yep. And so anything that you need to do in order to support yourself, showing up with energy, with vibrancy, with excitement in your business, 100%. Yeah. Put that in the business plan. Yes. I love it- that. I, I love that notion. Yeah. Put it in the business plan. Okay. So as we kind of start to wrap things up, what, how can people feel better? How can physical therapists, healthcare workers, if they're at this burnout stage, what is your best advice uh, for them move to move forward and to move beyond that? Yeah, I, I mean, again, this is an easier said than done. But if you can find some time, and this can be micro or it can be macro, if you can find some time to slow down a little bit and to hear yourself a little bit more, I think there's, you know, so many of the clinicians that I work with, we're so inundated with information and outside opinions and do this and do that. And here's what you need. And, and, you know, podcasts, Instagram, websites, we're, we're surrounded with information And I think we often just need to slow down Mm -hmm. and listen to ourselves think because we know what we need best. And so whether that's five minutes or 10 minutes or two weeks or a six week, you know, Scandinavian adventure, right? start by slowing down and listening to yourself because I guarantee there's some nuggets of wisdom there. What if you can't do that? What if you can't do that? And that's a a legitimate question. What if you... What if you can't do it? You're scared to do it. You don't know how to do it. Where do you get the help? Exactly what you just said. You have to you have to ask for help, which can also feel really uncomfortable mm-hmm. because we are the people of service and we don't need help. Other people do. And so recognizing and being okay with your humanity and asking for help. So again, whether that's, you know, a partner, a friend, a therapist, whoever that is, it is so important if you want to continue to be of service that you are in service to yourself first. And so absolutely, I think if if it feels too challenging or too uncomfortable, which let's mm-hmm. call it out, it can be very uncomfortable taking five minutes with no interruptions and no other noise but your own thoughts. Right, right. Yeah. Especially this day and age. We don't yeah. get a lot of that, you know? Right. Um, and so, yeah asking for help. So important and a massive step 
And so also acknowledging that for yourself, this is a big step and that's okay. Right. And speaking of asking for help, talk a little bit more about, you said that you're doing, you know, a day of patient care. What are you doing the rest of the time? So talk about your practice and helping other therapists. So that way, if anyone listening to this is like, "Hmm, I'm really resonating with, with what Emma is saying, and they can get a better idea of how you can work with them. Yeah. So, you know, along my journey, I shared my whole journey pretty much through my blog and through Instagram. And so many clinicians, you know, as I was creating my practice and showing up and, you know, people started to see how excited and passionate I was about what I was doing and and the positive changes I made. So many people started reaching out to me saying, oh my gosh, how do I do this? I want to feel that good too, (laughs) which was awesome. I, Mm -hmm. I, I love that. Um, and so very organically, I started working with clinicians um, to help them, you know, rediscover and and reignite not only passion for their career and how they were showing up in their practices, but also just in life. Um, so I took the step to become a, a co-active coach, and I now work with clinicians, helping them, you know, feel better in their lives and, you know, via that in their careers. And it's been so amazing to see, you know, everybody has their own path. Mm-hmm. Everybody has their own journey because it really comes from you and what you need. And no two people need the same things and no two people are going to resonate or be energized by the same stuff. Mm-hmm. But my goal is to help pull that out of people, really help to understand themselves better so that they can show up in life feeling good, feeling authentic and feeling aligned. So it's been so fun. If you had asked me what seven years ago, if I thought this was what I would be doing today, absolutely not. But, you know, really helping the helpers has been an adventure of a lifetime. I absolutely love it. Um, yeah. And, and where can people find you if they want more information? Yeah. So they can check out uh, my website is emmajack.com. Uh, there's lots of info on there, lots of resources on there. If you're just wanting to like dip your toe in, mm-hmm. uh, you can check out the resources there. Or if you want to chat more, I love nothing more than connecting with clinicians. So you can, you know, we can, we can, you can book a call and we can chat. Um, it's, it's, I do love, you know, just like this chatting one-on-one and really diving deep with people. Yeah. Excellent. All right. Well, last question. And it's a question I ask everyone on the podcast and that's knowing where you are now, what advice would you give to your 20 year old self? Mm. Lean into who you know you are and stop pretending to be anything else. Yeah. Great advice. Great advice. I love it. And it's something that I think takes work and practice and that you just don't do it once and you're like, I'm good. Check. Check. Yeah, I leaned in. I know who I am. Time to time to move on. Doesn't work that way. Right. Jokes on us because we're always changing. We're (laughs) always changing. We're always evolving. And so you have to, that's a a constant check-in. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Well, Emma, thank you so much. This was a great conversation. Um, I thank you and appreciate you for coming on the podcast. Thank you. Oh, this has been so fun. My greatest pleasure. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. And everyone, thanks so much for listening. Have a great couple of days and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to leave us your questions and comments at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com.
www.thepurpleshow.com. 